welcome to Out of the Blue from Mason Brew, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network. The podcast equivalent of eating the adrenal gland of a show horse and then attending a police auction. I am Jared Stormer of MaysandBrew.com. With me, as always, is Andy Bailey, my hetero life mate, also of MaysandBrew.com. Andy, you graceful magician bent on world dominance. How are you, sir? I'm a little conflicted today, mostly positive from what we witnessed the last week, but you know, basketball toyed with my emotions over the last six days. Yeah, it's tough to really say exactly how I feel because it's uh, three games over the course of a week. I don't think we've ever covered three basketball games in one week. So it was a busy week and two of the three, I mean, that ain't bad, but the most recent one against Illinois was, uh, I, I don't really know how to describe that other than flaccid. Yeah, it was a... Um massacre people have had better chances that were being crucified um just you know wasn't the best if we'd played illinois when we played indiana i believe the outcome would have been much different the energy would have been better and then play indiana at the back end who's you know less daunting opponent but it is what it is team team got their ass beat we got to bounce back from it look i did say a couple weeks ago i predicted the loss to iowa because i said we're going into the tournament with two losses not one and I wanted to get it out of the way versus Iowa because I did not want to lose to Illinois or Michigan State. All right, it happened to Illinois. They, they were talking smack. It was really annoying. They're trying to make this, this a rivalry game. It is not. Um, and we're going we're gonna to wax them in the Big Ten tournament. That's fine. But I really wanted that one, so that's a bummer. But let's start with Iowa, uh, which was certainly not a bummer. And, uh, man, Hunter Dickinson absolutely showing out. He really flew up the National Player of the Year conversation after getting the best of Luca Garza in that game, I would say. I mean, he was, he was stout defensively. If you just saw the stat line, you'd be misled. But if you watch the game, you watch how Garza really struggled to do anything inside the paint. Got some jumpers, got a three, I believe. Dickinson made everything difficult for him. And that was what we wanted to see. Garza's the leading scorer in the Big Ten. Hunter Dickinson's a freshman. But it looked the other way around at times. Dickinson defensively, though, is what stood out. Offensively, he was a grinder. Footwork was incredible. And it was everything we wanted to see from this matchup as a Michigan fan. I agree, and I was worried about this one because I didn't quite think Dickinson was there yet uh, defensively, and I know Garza's more of an offensive guy, and we'll get to Kofi Cockburn, but I've been saying for weeks that's the best defensive center he was going to see. So Garza, I thought he'd be able to score against, but I thought he'd give up a lot. Garza went 6 of 19 in this. So, I mean, a lot of that was due to the fact that Hunter Dickinson was making it hard on him all day. Only one three-pointer. Uh, he only attempted two, though, on that. 16 points and four rebounds for Garza is certainly beneath his average. And on the flip side, Franz Wagner showed up in that game, having one of his best games with a career-high 21 points. Wagner was just cooking in this game. Everything was butter smooth. The way Michigan spaced the floor and moved the ball set up his game perfectly. And you said at the beginning of the year, that Franz Wagner is going to emerge as this team's best player. And against Iowa, he played like it. Certainly looked like it. And uh, we're going to talk about the scoring and shooting splits of these three players, the three best players on Michigan. I don't think anyone would argue the top three of uh, Livers, Dickinson, and Wagner. Uh, it, against Iowa, Livers had 16 on 5 of 8. Uh, Dickinson had 14 on 6 of 13 with 8 rebounds. And uh, Wagner had 21 on 9 of 12 really efficient, was all over the place defensively. Um, four assists as well, a steal. He was great defensively. Um, so yeah, uh, against Iowa, looked very impressive. One of the more impressive wins of the season. You might be able to argue it was their most impressive win of the season, that or Ohio State probably. 
Yeah, but having two of their most impressive wins in a week span is saying something for this team that came off the COVID break. Absolutely. Uh, then after that, took on Indiana, and uh, once again, it was another great performance by Michigan, uh, led by Franz Wagner again, back-to-back. Ties his career high against Indiana in a 73-57 victory that was really never that close, never really in doubt in this one. And uh, once again, Dickinson, Livers, and Wagner um, were your top three scorers. Um, actually, Mike Smith had a, a great game in that one, 14 points for Mike Smith, so let's not let's not count him out as well. No, and he's been needed more recently, too, as a scorer at times. The team goes colder, needs a quick bucket. He's really dependable with his kind of long two game, especially. So that's been welcome. The Indiana game was really funny to watch because Wagner picked up where he left off. Dickinson was solid. It almost felt like Michigan wasn't even trying that hard at times and would open the lead to double digits. No, and maybe we should have taken that as a a sign of things to come because they didn't try hard in the next game and they got caught. Uh, But in this game, they coasted through it. Uh, What I found interesting about this, three total points from the Michigan bench in this game, and they still won 73-57. That, again, should have been a sign that fatigue might be setting in. And then last night we were proven correct, unfortunately. Yeah, and this is the game that I really wanted because, we, like we said, Illinois has been putting up all the bulletin board material, trying to make this a rivalry game. A.O. Donsamu was not going to play in this one, which I thought, I almost bet on this one, but like I said before, I knew we were going in with two losses. For some reason, yep. I just had a feeling, um, and I was like, I'm not I'm not doing it. Illinois is still a really good team, even without Donsamu, but he is their best player. Um, but Cockburn in this one, who is the best defensive center that Dickinson's going to see, um, unless we get USC or something in, in a matchup later on. Uh, he, he created problems for Dickinson, but it wasn't just Dickinson. Like this was an abysmal, abysmal performance from the entire Michigan Wolverines team. The worst performance of the Juwan Howard era. Every position on the team was outplayed. The guards, nobody on Michigan could stay in front of the Illinois guards. The forwards for Illinois were getting second chance after second chance. Michigan was getting no offensive rebounds, no movement with the ball offensively, sluggish. And to epitomize it, Shonday Brown airballed a free throw towards the end of the game. That's that's how the performance went. That should never happen. It's considered a free throw. I mean, <laughs> it's just some, you know, it, it means what it says. And, yeah, I mean, we talked about the shooting splits earlier. The shooting splits in this are atrocious. Dickinson, one for eight. Wagner, one for nine. Livers, two for seven. If you I could mean, have given me all the money in the world, to bet that those three players would make more than, or at least make make five shots combined, I would have bet it. Yes, I would have bet everything that I had. Be like five shots between those three players. Yeah, <laughs> easy money. It's it was a very weird performance. Hunter Dickinson got a haircut. I'm gonna blame it on that, just so mm-hmm. I can have something to target as a scapegoat. Yep. Yeah. I mean, a fresh fade. Don't get me wrong, but don't you, you don't mess with the streak, and <laughs> just every position, man, just outplayed, outclassed. And Woody Hayes said, nothing's more cleansing for the soul than a good ass beating. And that's what that was. Certainly. And maybe that'll wake him up. And uh, I mean, they look tired, which is not good. I know three games in a week, but I mean, we've got another one. This will uh, air on Thursday. we got another one that night. Yep. And then we got Michigan State again. And then it gets no easier. Then you got a tournament and you're into March. I mean, the, the breaks are not getting longer, except for the five days you get after the Big Ten tournament. So, I mean, you're going to have to play without, you know, a full week's rest for the rest of the way out. So the fact that they looked a little sluggish, more than a little sluggish and tired, 
is concerning, but I'm not like panicking or anything. I think they'll be just fine. It's a bad time to have a loss this bad, but I think for this team, it's a nice wake-up call back to reality. All week was Michigan should be number one. They're better than Gonzaga. They've done this. They've done that. Illinois is out their best player. They're going to win this game. And it's a reminder that you're still human, that if you don't show up, any team can beat you on any given night. And I think it'll be refreshing heading into the Big Ten and NCAA tournament that, hey, if we don't bring it, we could lose and it could be over just like that. Yeah, I'm assuming everyone was hungover. That's like what I think <laughs> that's how they played. Yeah, they played like they were all hungover. But I will guarantee that for the rest of the time they're together, you will never have a game where Livers, Wagner, and Dickinson combine for five shots or less. No. That just doesn't happen. No, and how many total assists do they have in that game as a team? As a team? Oh, it's not good. It is not. I've got it right here. Total assists are four. Yeah. (laughs) Four total assists. It's the lowest in the Jawan Howard era. It's the lowest I've ever heard of in a game. <laughs> Four totals as a team on made buckets. That's that's bad basketball. Credit to Illinois for bringing the juice, man, on both sides of the ball. They talked a big game, or at least their fans did, and the players delivered. I mean, both their, their freshman guards played outstanding. Cockburn was just a force inside, and they didn't have one of the five best players in the country on the floor. Yeah, so this should be a wake-up call, should be a learning experience, but no need to panic yet. Let's see how they come out against a Michigan State team that is now fighting to get into the tournament. So they do have uh, some life in them now and maybe are going to come out with a little bit more fire than you expected. So can't expect to coast through the rest of these games. And, you know, you still are probably good on the number one seed, but you don't want to fall off the wagon here, especially not this time of year. No, Michigan needs to win one of the two remaining games against Michigan State, and they win their outright Big Ten. Absolutely. And then it's tournament time, and and then we're into March, baby, and things get real. So um, still a couple games left here. Let's right the ship and end on a high note, and that is against an actual rival, Illinois. I'm sorry, you're, you're just not a rival. We just don't care. You don't just start a rivalry when your team is finally good again. It's like, oh, we're rivals now. It's like That's not, that's not how it works. No, this isn't a thing, guys. Like, no, it's not like, it's like when Michigan basketball came back to prominence. Yay, Indiana, we're back. It's like, what? No. Yeah, yeah right? <laughs> like, we haven't talked to anyone from Indiana in years. We're not about to start now. <laughs> I don't want to do that to them. You know, I don't, want to, I don't want to, like, lower the IQ of the good people of Michigan, you know? Right, right. We're better than that. Have you ever, <laughs> have you ever been through Gary, Indiana? Should not, be- a, not a lot going. I got lost once, went through South Bend. You know, wasn't a good time. Didn't have fun. There's nothing going on there. I mean, a couple uh, good gas stations, but. Ooh, yeah, 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 absolutely. That console <laughs> that they got there, yeah, that's real nice. <laughs> I'd like to take a moment to uh, talk about our newest sponsor, sponsor, Homefield Apparel. Homefield Apparel is out of Indianapolis. Very comfortable, incredibly affordable sportswear brand with the best, most comprehensive selection of college apparel that I've seen. Best in the game right now. Um, you're probably a Michigan fan, so that means you uh, should be looking at the Michigan line, but maybe you've got somebody else that has uh, less judgment than you, and they're a fan of another school. Well, they've got you covered there as well. For that family member, wife, girlfriend, whoever it might be, Homefield is a licensed apparel company with a wide range of schools, designs both new school and old school, and you can get 20% off your first purchase with MNB at checkout at homefieldapparel.com. Okay, so let's move to football since I don't want to talk about a loss anymore. Um, and there's been some news, actually some big news. Let's start with former Texas Tech quarterback Alan Bowman uh, in the transfer portal is now a Michigan Wolverine. 
by 247's account, he is the number eight rated transfer quarterback in the portal. Um, and for comparison's sake there, Joe Milton is rated number 12. Dylan McCaffrey is not rated at all. <laughs> if Alan Bowman was not playing quarterback, what would a person with the name Alan Bowman be doing go? Uh, let's go some sort of litigation. Maybe he is the accountant at a Home Depot um, investment broker. What do you think? Managing a steakhouse. Oh, yeah. Alan Bowman? Yeah. Bowman? Oh, yeah. That's even better. Yeah. Can Alan I speak Bowman. to the manager at Outback? Yeah. Uh, um, out here comes Alan. Hi, I'm Alan Bowman. Perfect. <laughs> I'm Al Bowman, and I can fix your snowblower. <laughs> also um, fix your winter appliances. Al Bowman here. Al Bowman here. Yeah, that definitely sounds like a 45-year-old father of three, but he also sounds like a great guy to have a beer with. Yeah, so we're going to dub this guy the salesman. Yeah, Al Bowman, the salesman. <laughs> I like it. He already has a nickname. It's not even on campus yet. <laughs> this is something I didn't see coming at all. I had no idea we're even in the market for this kid. No, I do understand why we were in the market, though, and especially for someone with some reps under his belt. You lose Milton, who was right there with McNamara for the most accomplished quarterback that you have on your roster, so you don't really have any experience. Uh, Bowman brings by far the most experience on the team. Uh, 33 touchdowns for Texas Tech, threw for 5,500 yards while he was there. Um, I mean, he's coming from an air raid system, which is strange to come over here, so it would be interesting to see should he win the job if they maybe change up the offense for him? I don't know, but he's a talented guy, and it's nice to know that, say, McCarthy's not ready and McNamara goes out. Now we're not going to Dan Valori. Yes, that's the big thing here. In case, you know, McNamara's not ready or people get hurt, you have this guy in there. No no disrespect to Dan Valori. I'm sure he's a great kid. But when the news was announced last year that at Ohio State it could have been up to him to win the game, big yikes. So having Alan Bowman on campus means a lot for the depth. He's going to come here to compete. A player with his experience and pedigree slinging the pill, like he's not coming here to sit. No, he thinks he's going to come in here and have a chance to win it in the first year. And, I mean, he will absolutely compete. I mean, Cade McNamara is certainly not some known commodity coming back. He's our most known commodity. But, I mean, I wouldn't say that his body of work last year was enough to say, like, oh, we know exactly what we have at the quarterback position. No, not at all. I mean, his frosted tips are glorious, but having the salesman there, we, we know what we get with him. And this kind of speaks to Harbaugh still having a little bit of juice with certain quarterbacks there trying to make a jump or take a leap to the next level. So a very welcome sight. If anything, it's depth. It's another knowledgeable brain in the room who's seen coverages, seen a lot of different looks. I mean, Alan Bowman's been playing college football since at least 2010. So just that insight alone is great. And he's been managing an Outback since 2007. Yeah, he will also sell you winter appliances, at least since 05. <laughs> so maybe it's Al Bowman and he's just the steakhouse. That's even better. Al Bowman, the steakhouse is in the game. People are going to look at us like we have issues, which we do, but it fits so perfectly. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm excited to have him. Uh, if nothing else, like you were saying, this is uh, some security on the roster in a position that I know we're all excited for J.J. McCarthy, but... That's a lot of youth you're you're counting on next year. So getting the elder statesman, Al Bowman, in there should put everyone at ease. Yeah, J.J. McCarthy was at Winter Formal three months ago. That's what I'm saying. And Al Bowman <laughs> was selling me a snowblower three months ago. So, <laughs> everything Al Bowman's been hassling with insurance agents and everything else you can imagine. What do you mean I can't refinance? <laughs> Al Bowman's won three bowling tournaments since we started this podcast. 
<laughs> Al Bowman at least drinks nine Natty Lights on a golf course, and he's not even on hole four. <laughs> <laughs> he's twice divorced, but he can palm a medicine ball. <laughs> He goes to a car dealership and it's like he's selling the dealer something of his. Like, you're going to take this for half price and we're going to do a deal. Like, <laughs> Al, not again. He gets mad at Kroger's and they don't accept his coupons. <laughs> his diet is exclusively Polish sausage. <laughs> Al Bowman only grills with a button up shirt undone. Did he just become our favorite player? I think he might have. I love this guy. Al Bowman. I've never seen an interview with him. I don't really know what he sounds like. I know so. nothing about him, but I'm going to be diving in. Deep dive on Al Bowman. Better have this... a mustache and better have a nice heft to him. Everyone welcome the Steakhouse. Steakhouse, Al Bowman. 5'11", <laughs> mustache. I hope. Just a unit. He's going to challenge Grover Cleveland in our presidential like <laughs> boxing rankings. I love it. All right, we're way off topic here, but that's fine. <laughs> Time to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk some recruiting wins before we get into the spring positional battles on the defense. We did the offense last week, talked about some battles we expect to see that are going to shape the offense. We're going to do it for the defense when we get back. All right, welcome back to Out of the Blue. Second half of this pod, we are going all football, but before we get into the spring positional battles that will happen on defense, got to talk a little bit of recruiting because it is on an uptick, made for a great weekend with that win over Iowa, and then five-star Will Johnson out of Gross Point Blank South, staying home, committing to Michigan. This is a five-star at 6'3", 190, one of the best uh, corners in the entire country. Uh, said that he came here because he expects to play. How do you feel about this? I'm assuming you're pleased. <laughs> this is what we've been screaming, Jared. Come to Michigan. You're going to play. Our cornerback is a weak position group, and we want to keep the best players in Michigan. I'm ecstatic. This kid is 6'3", 190 as a junior in high school. This is outstanding. That's, that's out of control. I mean, he's already ready to play the position, and uh, – when he comes in, I have to imagine he's going to get a go at being one of the starting cornerbacks. So we don't get, uh, I mean, this is the first five-star at cornerback that I remember. I mean, since I've been a Michigan fan, can you think of the last five-star at corner? Five-star? No. Because what was, I mean, was Peppers just an athlete? An athlete, yeah. We didn't even really know where he was going to go. We thought safety, kick returner, thought we'd see him on offense. And we did see him in all those places, but certainly wasn't strictly a cornerback. No, but the last, like, five-star defensive back we got ended up being nominated for the Heisman Trophy. You heard of it? So, <laughs> this is a huge get, and it also it goes to the statement that Michigan is now keeping the best players in Michigan at Michigan. And there is some truth to that right off the bat here with the 2022 class. So, Will Johnson out of Michigan, uh, Taylor Groves out of Tennessee is our next highest rated. Our next highest rated committed today, and that is Tayshawn Trent. 6'4", 205-pound wide receiver out of East Detroit, a four-star, and this is another big get. I mean, we haven't had a lot of these 6'4 guys on the roster. The last one was Nico Collins, and you saw what he was able to do. So a little bit of a shift back between Tayshawn Trent, Christian Dixon, Dixon, Andrell Anthony getting some taller receivers on the board, but this is another big pickup and another one staying home. Yeah, you said three things there that I really loved, and it was 6'4", four-star, and Detroit. This kid's going to have some edge to him. He's going to be fantastic. And like you said, we're keeping the best players in Michigan. We're sizing up at receiver again to get a nice blend of, you know, short quickness, 
height jump ball like we have with Nico Collins boxing players out. I mean, it's just Michigan recruiting is back to is even better than I ever thought it was going to be in the next five years. Well, I mean, we made those shifts on the coaching staff, we think, in order to improve recruiting, get a little bit younger, and uh, get some guys that were a little bit more modern with their schemes. And the recruiting part had certainly lived up to the billing thus far. We were number 10 class in the country when we signed Will Johnson. Tayshawn Trent brings us up to the number nine class. We're trending for four-star athlete Dylan Tatum. We're in a battle with Notre Dame for what I think would be the perfect rush hybrid edge or a Leo in uh, Joshua Burnham. Um, so he's six four guy that's out of the Midwest. So right now things are trending up for Michigan recruiting, and this could end up being a top five class. And I'm going to go ahead and predict right now that it is. This I think this is going to end up being a top five class. I think so too. Already at number nine, even the slightest recruit can swing anything for any team. But Michigan is well ahead of the curve right now with positions of need, like upgrading at receiver, getting another cornerback, another safety, a tight end. You know we need some depth there. So. The new staff is doing what they've been brought there to do. Now we will see if they can develop it, but starting off with the recruiting is the first and foremost thing we talked about with this staff. Yeah, you have to get them on campus first. So that's the first step. And you're bringing talent into Michigan. And man, Will Johnson, you know, I'm a big cornerback guy. That's probably my favorite position group. So I'm going to be watching this guy really closely. And I expect him to be a stud. I'm stoked about this one. And he's a legacy guy. His father, Dion, played at Michigan. I love that, man. This is landing this recruit was big because when he started trending to Michigan a few weeks ago, we were all kind of caught off guard because he wasn't supposed to go there. No, no, I, I was USC or Ohio state. A lot of people were thinking it was going to be Ohio state, which I have plenty of negative things to say about Ohio state on this podcast, but they definitely have been churning out defensive backs. I mean, it's ridiculous. The last couple of years, the guys they put into the league, like in the first round too. It's a laundry list. It really is. It is the DBU. And I hate to say that, but I mean, credit where credit is due so to steal him from there he must be really buying what this new defensive staff is selling they were definitely talking about the fact that he expects to play early here who's gonna keep him off the field sammy faustin yeah it's not happening like he's gonna come in and he'll be the favorite to start at one of the two cornerback positions day one (laughs) it's like oh man i don't want to go there hunter reynolds might keep me off the field no I still got to compete with Bubakar Sasasco. Yeah. It's like, oh, man, how am I going to see time when Jalen Perry's still thick? No, you're going to come here and you're going to start. That's just how it's going to be. So the kid's a stud. He's massive. He would, I believe, already be our biggest corner because Amari Page is 6'3", but he's a safety. Yep, Macari Page is big, but yep, he's definitely going to be the next safety once Hawkins leaves. So, I, I yeah, he's definitely the biggest corner we've had in a while. St. Just was big at 6'2" um stribbling was big six two i don't know that we've had six three yeah sammy faustin is six two but he's a he's yeah so nobody bigger than that vincent gray is surprisingly six two yeah yeah so this is this is a big dude and if he's fast and athletic and can cover i mean you don't see six three corners really richard sherman's pretty big yeah he's the prototype for i think that's when it really kind of can't went in vogue was with sherman and nobody's richard sherman we'll be honest but Hardball recruited him as receiver and switched him over. So, I mean, I don't know. Maybe there's some juice left. Maybe there is indeed. All right, let's let's uh, let's switch gears here. Last week, we talked about the battles that we expect to see this spring that are currently ongoing. Not much coming out of spring practice. That's how it's been since year one or two. They're in the submarine, as it were. 
but there are position battles ongoing and on defense there are going to be quite a few um especially when you look at the linebackers there's gonna be a lot of new faces out there uh, but let's start at defensive tackle where i do think there is a battle um, but defensive tackle, we did a podcast a few weeks ago talking about the depth chart. There's really only going to be one true defensive tackle on the field at a time. So this uh, this does become a competition for minutes. It does, and it's going to be very limited. And I believe the front runner right now, as everybody probably has it in marker, is Chris Hinton, 6'4", 305, junior. Everyone's really waiting for him to take the leap. And this system honestly might fit his skill set the best. I agree. I don't want to get too deep into this one because I think he's likely your starter. He's battling with Jeter and Mozzie Smith, and those are really the guys that you would expect to see here. I don't think we'll get too much beyond that. Uh, Jeter really is his only competition just because he's been there a little bit longer, but Hinton at times has shown it, but it's very limited where you see that potential. So uh, hopefully with a new coaching staff, a new scheme, he's really able to excel in this one. And I think that you're right. I think that this system will be better for him crashing downhill rather than trying to be a run stuffer. Absolutely. And I think one sleeper to watch is Julius Welshoff, almost up to 6'6", 290 now. So this is a massive human. He was, I believe, only 260 last year. He's almost 290. So there's no mistaking he's going to be playing inside now. That's interesting because let's move to the next one. We talked about this when we were doing the depth chart. He also is quick enough that he could theoretically play that Leo hybrid role, uh, which is going to be, they call it a 3-4, but that Leo hybrid will a lot of times be on the line. Uh, much like the rush end will sometimes be standing up, hand in the dirt. The Leo hybrid will switch between hand in the dirt and standing up. And Welshoff could be a, a name there. Um, I think he'll be battling with Taylor Upshaw. He'll be battling with some of the guys that are listed as linebackers. Lance Dixon, if we land him out of Penn State, could be a guy to watch here. Um, Junior Colson could be a guy to watch here at Leo hybrid. But I think... Uh, you're you're maybe not wrong there about Welshoff. That's a big dude. But if he can move quickly at 6'6", 290, could be great at the hybrid spot. That's a lot coming at you from a stand-up position. Also, uh, David Ojabo, a name to watch here as well, who we bought all the stock last year, and it kind of let us down. Yeah, absolutely. So this one's tough for me to predict until I see what they're trying to do. I'm just going off what they do on Baltimore, where they want like a big guy that's also pretty fast, but could also, if he needs to, you know, take on an offensive lineman. Uh, 6'6", 290 would be maybe one of the biggest to ever play this Leo hybrid role. But they use Chris Wormley kind of in that position, and they use Matthew Jude on there. Uh, they'd move him around, so it's not impossible that Welshoff would do that, but uh, this one's going to be interesting. All those guys are going to battle it out, and this is going to be a true battle between, I think, maybe four names. Yeah, there's a lot of potential here, so who do you think is going to start at the Leo Hybrid role, if you had a guess right now? I picked Upshaw when we did the defensive um, depth chart, so yeah. I'm going to stick with Upshaw right now, uh, just because he showed me something. It was one play I'm thinking of last year where he ran down a running back like 30 yards down the field. Rutgers. And that showed me, against Rutgers. That showed me he has the speed to play this position. I, I'm with you. I wanted to go, <clears throat> excuse me, I wanted to go with David Ojabo, but because of that play, and I think the way it fits his skill set, he used to play standing up a lot in high school, still raw. He and Ojabo are about the same size, but he's more experienced. He's been more productive. So I think you nailed that one. 
Yeah, I think Upshaw is the first guy you see on the field. But they're going to find a way to put Welsh off in there, and maybe it is in the defensive tackle rotation. Or maybe, uh, I think more likely, he's actually backing up Hutchinson as the true rush end. Yeah, it could be good. But man, 6'6", 290, that's big. That's a big dude. That's a big dude. We're not going to talk rush end because I think Aiden Hutchinson, I, I don't think it, I know it, is your is your starting rush end, so we won't get into that, but... So, yeah, a lot of places Welshoff can play in this defense. All right, let's move to linebacker here, um, where, like we said, linebacker here is going to be strange. You're going to see a lot of different variations. But in the uh, typical 4-3 under or 3-4, whatever you want to call it, there's two inside linebackers and one outside linebacker. And you want size and speed at all of them. So we only have so many guys on the roster that fit that bill. Inside linebacker number one, I think Josh Ross is taking one of the positions. But what about the other one? This is tough. <clears throat> Linebacking room, I have just a lot of question marks. We can believe the hype with what we want. We can mostly speculate. I would like to say that just off what I'm feeling gut-wise, Michael Barrett's going to see the field, and so is Khalil Mullings. Okay. I think Junior Colson's going to see the field, but it gets tough because with your outside linebacker, you also want them to be big, but I think they probably are going to be rushing the outside linebacker a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So I might see Michael Barrett in that outside linebacker because he can blitz extremely well. He's a, he's a solid blitzer, but doesn't really fit what McDonald has done in the past. So at inside, I think Josh Ross, one of them. Um, and then I think for the other one, if we get Lance Dixon, it's probably Lance Dixon, unless he goes over to the Leo hybrid. If we do not Correct. land Lance Dixon, I'm I'm sticking with Junior Colson as a freshman. I am. I'm riding that. I love that, man. Just for me, I just can't remember a true freshman ever coming in and starting. I mean, this defense is different, but even Devin Bush didn't start as a freshman. Granted, there was a little different talent there, a different roster. So that's hard for me to see. And I think a name I, I don't want to forget is Anthony Solomon on this team. Third year there now. Yeah, Anthony Solomon, didn't he? Oh, Jordan Anthony transferred. Anthony Solomon is still there. Yes, there's also still uh, Kalel Mullings. There's still Nikai Hale-Green, who I think might be perfect for the outside line. Yes. Yeah, so we'll, we'll talk about that there in a minute. But at inside linebacker, you want a guy that can fill a gap, so you want that size. And Kalel Mullings is a good choice there. So I think him, Junior Colson, and there is one name that we're missing at linebacker. Um, but I have Cornell right Wheeler, maybe? Cornell Wheeler is the name that we're missing there. Yes. And he's also a pretty big guy. So uh, there's also Jaden Hood. So there's multiple names there that are going to be um, competing. I just think that uh, Junior Colson finds a way to get on the field. It might be as that outside linebacker because he's fast, though. So um, I'm fine with Josh, Josh Ross as one. And I'm fine with Kalel Mullings competing with maybe Hood and Wheeler for the other one. And that's the battle to watch. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. I, I agree with that, and I am going to switch. I think now let's go to outside linebacker, and I think it's Colson competing with Barrett and Solomon here. Yeah, got to have the speed. Got The thing that holds Barrett back is just his size. Like, he's he's put on a lot since he got there, but he's still not as big as you'd like him to be because Colson at now is 230, a few pounds over him, two inches taller than him. So Barrett's just really thick. <laughs> so we'll see if that can hold up here. Maybe this is more suited for him than Viper because in Viper last year, he really struggled at certain aspects of clogging a lane or going out in coverage. So maybe outside linebacker where you're just going to rush a little bit more could you know better fit his strengths. But the outside linebacker in this scheme will still at times have to drop back into coverage. So I think he could still do this. But yeah, filling the lane and going up against a, an offensive lineman or a fullback, 
you know, when you see those, that probably wouldn't work out well for Michael Barrett, but I still think he sees the field. And if you just want to go with a guy that you trust the most, he might be the starter here. But Junior Colson's going to be nipping at his heels. Nakai Hill Green, I think, is really well suited for this as a guy that can both rush and drop back into coverage. So th- I think that'll be an honest to God um, competition there. And then, like we've said multiple times, Lance Dixon shifts this whole thing around if we land him. Yeah, that's the name to watch and the one that can really shift it. But the only one you can put in like pen right now is Josh Ross is starting. Just let's end that. <laughs> He is, and I mean, he had a rough year last year, but I just cannot imagine two guys passing him, you know? No, there's no way. Again, it's a new defense, so a lot's going to be seen. So hopefully there's a spring game this year, fingers crossed, so we can at least get some kind of idea of who's doing what and what they look like. Because I remember nothing will ever stand out to me more than the spring game of 2017 when you and I watched it like, Devin Bush is a star. The end. Immediately. Yeah. In a spring game, we were like, that guy is the best player on the field. And you could see it right off. The- yeah, that was great. And he became one of our favorite players that day. Yeah, 100%. And then we saw a lot of things then. So the spring game is not going to give you definites. We also thought Brandon Peters was going to be Peyton Manning. <laughs> but he was slinging the pill. So let's be real. And but we saw Nico Collins body up Benjamin St. Juice a couple times. I was like, yep, saw that coming too. Yes. Absolutely. Nico Collins, I was pretty sure of. I mean, when you're that big, that fast, and you know you can catch the ball at its high point, those things all translate. Yeah. So we're saying a lot of things right now about depth, and we're predicting them, and but they're predictions for a reason. Like, more and more stuff will come out, and we'll alter those, but for right now, these are, I think, our best guesses at linebacker, which is a complete, I mean, just guess. <laughs> a lot of them are guesses. Uh, Lance Dixon, Michael Barrett, we've seen somewhat of what they can do. We know what Josh Ross is capable of. And I think this will be better for him. If he's just asked to crash downhill and fill up a lane, I think he's very capable of that. I don't know if I like him in coverage. but No, that's what he does best. He's the hardest hitter on the team. Right. I I would think so, too. He's had some nasty ones over the year. Uh, Safety, there's not really a competition, but there's competition to back up Hawkins and um, Dax Hill. Uh, Makari Page, Jordan Morant, and R.J. Moten will be fighting for that. Makari Page is one of the backups. Um, I, I'm a Jordan Morant guy, so I think we'll see him as well. Yeah, I think it's yeah page one, but Morant has that high upside. So you want to kind of lean towards him, but we're, we're going to see, man. I mean, safety depth chart, I'm not worried about. It's just the experience backing them up that worries me. Oh, yeah, we're loaded with talent there, uh, but not a true competition there, as we know the starters. Cornerback, however, I think will be an honest-to-God competition, and it's tough to say. Uh, when we did our podcast a few weeks ago talking about the depth chart, I made some predictions about some people winning out. Um, I do think Jamon Green is one of your corners. I, I can say that pretty confidently. Yeah, I'm 100%. I'm going to be boring, just full stop. I think it's the same two starting corners as last year with the new scheme. I think the experience wins them out, but green is the one I'm more sure about. Yes. Uh, I'm choosing the other green and that's Darian green Warren. I mean, he's going to be battling with Vincent gray and Jamon green. Uh, Jamon green got better as the season went along. Vincent gray stayed the same level of kind of lame. <laughs> the entire time. So I, I I'm just going based on what I seen, but maybe it was a really just rough year and, hard to get into the game when there's not fans there. So maybe he takes a jump, but there's also Jalen Perry, DJ Turner, Sammy Faustin, Andre Selden, but I don't know that he'll compete against these guys for the, uh, the boundary corners. So uh, Darian Green Warren's the other name to really watch here. He could unseat somebody. Let me present this to you. Makari Page at safety, Dax Hill at corner. We talked about it last year. I wanted to see it last year. I don't know what they were waiting for. He was our best cover guy. I know. Safety. 
I know. That's what I'm saying again. Like six feet, 190. He's built like a corner. Yes, absolutely. And I think that, I mean, if you're a, a college guy, I think you're going to get drafted higher as a corner than you would as a safety. How high do safeties get drafted? Yeah. Brad Hawkins is six one two twenty. Dax Hill is six feet one ninety. Like, come on, <laughs> you're out of position. Yeah. If Macari page is that good, you're like, man, he needs to get on the field. I think you make that move. I mean, but we were preaching this last year and they didn't even sniff doing this idea. No page has the height. He's a little, little skinny for that frame, but you look at RJ Moten's just measurables at six feet two thirteen. You kind of salivate a little bit, like, yeah, that could do it. That could be it right there. Yeah, and Morant's a, a bulldog back there too. I like Jordan Moran as well. So I mean, he could be a safety that could absorb some hits and be your hard hitting downhill safety. Macari Page is your cover safety, and I like that um, for the future. But Brad Hawkins is going to play. We both like him a lot. I think he'll be a second second team All Big Ten this year. Dax Hill will be first team wherever he plays, but. Man, if you don't have anyone that steps up at corner, do it. The Dax Hill at corner train is uh, leaving the station once again. Yeah, Our argument was last year, and it remains the same. You put your four best guys out there as a collective unit. And if you had moved him last year to corner, it would have picked up a huge deficiency. And the drop-off from him to the next safety is far less than the drop-off from Vincent Gray to Dax Hill. Yes, I agree with you. I mean, obviously, because we were screaming this at the top of our lungs by about game three last year, but then it just quickly didn't matter. So it's, I don't know. It was baffling last season, especially when you're just going to leave him out on an Island. At least Dax Hill would have a chance with his speed and technique, but we're going to see, man, this, this off, this defense is going to be a lot different. Mike McDonald talks about, they want to be versatile. He used the word multiple. You want to play man. You want to play zone. You want to do this. So Saying all the right coach speak, and I'm buying the energy, and I'm buying the recruiting. So I'm going to buy this now, too. Sure, I'm with it. I mean, the set, the fact that it is a different defense means that possibly Vincent Gray is better suited for this and has a huge jump up because he did not look that bad two years ago. Like, we were really excited about Vincent Gray. Yeah, as the third quarter, he was fantastic, played decent in man coverage. But when you try the same thing over and over again and just keep failing and you don't change, it's always gonna you're always going to fail. So now at least there's going to be change in there. It's probably refreshing for Vincent Gray, knowing he's not going to be left on an island every play. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, you still expect these guys to improve with each year. And You still got four-star Jalen Perry back there, who's highly recruited, has nice size. So guys always do take a jump, and it's usually guys that you're not expecting. So maybe DJ Turner takes a jump. Who knows? But I do think Green Warren is really going to push Gray and Jamon Green this year. So uh, I think you'll see him. I don't know how much you'll see him, but Green Warren was a highly recruited four-star, has the size, a year at Michigan, and I, I just tend to go for talent when it comes to the secondary. I vote talent. Yeah, I vote talent as well, and we always say the best pass defense begins with the pass rush, and I think the pass rush is going to be unbelievably better than it was last season because last year it did not exist for the first time in the hardball era. No pass yeah. rush at all. There was like only 20 teams that were worse than us, so it would be hard to get much worse. So I agree with you. I think the pass rush is going to be better, and I think because of that, the coverage will improve as well. And these guys aren't going to be just out there on their lonesome, you know, Tom Tom Hanks castaway style, just trying to make it happen with a volleyball and a pair of sticks. I think they're going to be out there with some some, some ammunition this time. Can we get some damn turnovers, please? For the love of God, we need some turnovers this year. That's that's going to be the key to really turning this thing around. They've just, other than his first year there, Harbaugh's first year, 
we haven't really been like a turnover machine type of defense. We've had great defenses, but 15 and 16 were really the pinnacle of creating turnovers. And ever since then, it's kind of fallen off a cliff. Yeah, we thought the year was going to be great after that Minnesota hit by Jeter or hit by Barrett and catch by Jeter. Like, we're going to force three fumbles a game. No. Minimum. No. No. No, force like three fumbles all season. (laughs) All right. Uh, before we go, uh, by the time you hear this, it will be Thursday, and we have a game against uh, Michigan State. And, you know, we all know how much we, we love those folks over there in East Lansing, those fine, respectable, reasonable, um, you know, normal people. So what do you think is going on in this game here? How do, you, how do you see this going? Honestly, compared to Illinois fans, like they've been relatively tame this season. You kind of have to be when you're getting beat down like that week in and week out. You know, you can't say much, but, you know, as much as this sentence is going to hurt to say, credit to Tom Izzo for getting his guys at least to compete towards the end of the season. They could have easily just thrown it in. So he's got them working. They have a ton more to play for than Michigan does. Just let's face it. They have way more to play for. Their season's at stake here. So, yeah, Michigan only needs to get one of the two. Yeah, that's all well and good. Let's just lock it up now, mail in the last one, and we'll move on. What, what, what are we doing here? I Michigan's going to bounce back. Michigan's going to win 78-68. I like it. I was going to think it's going to be it's going to be closer, I think at least coming out of the half, but down the stretch Michigan's depth and athleticism. I mean, they're playing guys at point guard that really maybe should be fitting your shoes at a fit locker or a foot locker and that's about what they're qualified to do. So I really think that our athleticism, our depth, and the fact that these guys are going to really want to bounce back after that game, I like it right around where you see it. I think 73-65, 73-62, something like that. You had it right. They don't work at Foot Locker. No, they work at Fit Locker. Okay, that's what, that's what they're more suited to be. <laughs> the knockoff version that's like only in the, uh, the outlet malls. Dude, I would be shocked if Juwan Howard drops two in a row. I don't think he will drop two in a row. Plus, I said weeks ago we're going into the Big Ten tournament with two losses, not three. I think we uh, we run it here. You only games. speak the truth, so I have no reason except to believe you. Yeah, just believe me, and you will do well. Had I have bet every single game of the the Michigan season this year that I had a good feeling about, I would have made a lot of money. Had I bet everything I had a good feeling on this year, I'd be homeless. But that's why I listen to you. <laughs> I mean, I did make some money, but then there were games where I was like, I really want to bet the house on this. And I didn't because I was like, oh, it's Iowa. Iowa was really good. But I was like, I got a feeling about tonight. Damn you, Creighton plus six. (laughs) Curse you. Curse you. Why are you doing this? No, but Michigan should bounce back. It's Michigan State. They're down. Let's just pummel them into submission. Let's move on with our lives. Next time we talk, we should have won the Big Ten, my friend. Next time we talk, we will have won the Big Ten. That is the spirit. That's going to do it for us tonight on Out of the Blue. Make sure that you like, share, subscribe wherever you get your podcast: Apple Music, Spotify, and more. Follow us on Twitter at Maze Brew. I am Jared. That is Andy. This is Out of the Blue. We'd like to remind you that wherever you go, go blue.